rosieonthehouse.com. Protecting you, informing you, and educating you. It's Rosie on the House. Good morning, Arizona. Welcome to a special edition of the On the House Hour at Rosie on the House. Today, we're going to talk about women in construction. <laughs> that's, that's the bottom line. And, you know, it's really a challenging time for consumers. It's really hard to get products and services. And a big part of that is because we have a labor shortage. And, of course, at Rosie on the House, we want to be part of the solution to filling that labor void. Rosie's been working hard to create an internship and apprenticeship program with Arizona ROC, the Register of Contractor, to encourage young men and women to consider working in the construction trades. And today I specifically want to encourage women that you can be part of this wonderful industry. It's it's booming, it's busy, you can't find anybody who's not looking for work, and it's it's just an exciting time. And there are so many skill sets required in this industry. So I have three different ladies I want to talk to you today, women who have really found their place in the construction industry. And first, I would like to introduce to you Susan Krieger. She's a staff writer at Rosie on the House. Good morning, Susan. Hi, good morning, Jennifer. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. Susan is an expert networker, (laughs) if there's such a thing. She is just so good at connecting people and connecting dots and keeping things moving and making things fun and exciting. So, Susan, I'm just so glad you're part of the team. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, I and I was thinking back. Hey, you and Rosie have known each other quite a long time, quite a bit longer than the time that you have been the staff writer. Why don't you tell us how you actually met Rosie? So I think I met Rosie. It has to be around two thousand four, two thousand five. I was managing the Arizona Concrete Contractors Association, um, which is it's exactly what it sounds like. It's the trade association for people in the concrete industry. In my role as executive director, I served on the Registrar of Contractors Industry Advisory Council. That's where I met Rosie. We used to meet every month and talk about issues that were affecting the construction industry, affecting the consumers. And so I sat with Rosie on that on that council, but I really got to know him when I was hitching a ride from Phoenix to Tucson with another advisory member. And... He already had plans to have lunch with Rosie, so I got to tag along and go to Baby K's for the first time. And then it was, and then it was years later, just um, through the networking um, world, that I got connected to come uh, and join Rosie on the house. And you kind of developed a niche for trade associations and being able to step in and help them. Uh, in all, the, in all the ways that trades need to, to connect. You actually worked with the Pool and Hot Tub Alliance. You were executive director. Yeah. So mm-hmm. um, when the economy in 2008, 2009, so did a lot of associations. There wasn't a lot going on, um, especially in concrete. And so uh, I went very, very, very part-time. And fortunately, I had some good connections with other trade associations who needed Help and so I I started working with the Ceramic Tile and Stone Association, uh, and then the what was called at the time the Association of Pool and Spa Professionals, um, Association of Wall and Ceilings, and um, National Association of the Remodeling Industry, uh, the Tucson and, and Phoenix chapters. 
And I did, I worked with all of those up until I joined Rosie on the House in 2017. Those are all very important parts of the construction industry that do not um, involve a hammer or a screwdriver, and they are very um, important skills. So currently, Susan is also president of the National Association of Women in the Construction Industry in the Tucson chapter. And Susan, I wanted you to kind of paint a picture um, for maybe a young woman uh, who's just trying to choose a career path or maybe someone who's thinking of changing careers altogether, what does that association have for someone like that who needs, who would like to move forward? Well, uh, NAWIC, National Association of Women in Construction, um, was founded in 1953, 1955 in Austin, and now there are 114 chapters across the country, um, two of them being in Arizona, one in Phoenix and one in Tucson. The purpose of NAWIC is you know, to promote the opportunities for women in construction. We want to strengthen and amplify the success of women in the construction industry, championing women to impact the direction of the industry. And we do that through providing education, really connecting as a community, and an advocacy uh, for women. To really promote the opportunities that are out there. You know, we're no longer relegated to the My Girl Friday role, you know, in the office, making copies and getting coffee. You know, we're actually out there designing projects, managing projects, we're estimating, we're swinging the hammers, running the bulldozers. There is an facet of construction that women cannot do. The world is wide open. So you mentioned to me that if someone wanted to check you out, they could come to a chapter meeting, right? They could find their local chapter and come and see what it's all about. So the Tucson chapter uh, actually has rolled out a mentorship program. So we are connecting women, whether they are just starting a career or they want to make a career change, connecting them with seasoned women in the construction industry to help guide them through their career. And it could be anything from how to find those jobs, how to interview Having someone to talk to that you can bounce ideas off of certain issues that come up for women, you know, in construction that are different than, you know, what our male counterparts see. And to have a woman who has blazed trail before you and have gone through some of those issues really helps a a new person coming into that industry. So whether a woman wanted to look into the construction sciences... Or um, maybe engineering. How about if it, even before that, interior design kind of things, or does that, that count? Absolutely, yeah. you know everything that has to do you know, with construction. You know, said I'm on the periphery. You know, I manage the trade association. I'm a member of NAWIC, and I find a lot of, of value in it. Um, but I would definitely, I definitely suggest coming and checking out the Tucson chapter, the Phoenix chapter, anything. That a that a woman is looking for to become a leader in her field. I also noticed in digging around on the website that they offer scholarships. Yes, yes. In fact, of the Tucson chapter, which is the one that I'm involved in, we just awarded two thousand um, dollars that are currently going to school to get their degrees in construction sciences. Uh, we awarded a thousand dollars to each of them. Uh, the Phoenix chapter also has a scholarship program. And there's scholarship programs through the national office as well. And 
both of our websites for Tucson and Phoenix and the national website have information about scholarship programs. Uh, we also have design drafting competitions for high schoolers where they get a project to design and they win on their local on the local level. They go to a regional level and a national level and they're awarded prizes as well. Just a few weeks ago, we awarded $300 for first place, 200 for second and $100, and they can, you know, put that towards their education or their tools if they're getting ready to, you know, go out onto their first job. And Susan, would you share with us maybe um, one of the challenges you've had working in in this field, and then also kind of wrap into that, what would your advice be to someone who's thinking about this? Sure. So early on when I started with the construction uh, or the Concrete Contractors Association, I went to World of Concrete, (laughs) so that I could take classes and and understand uh, the industry better. And one of the courses I took early on was a sales course. And one of the things that I do in association management is membership. So I'm out there, you know, promoting and and selling. And I I asked the speaker, who uh, was was a man, for some advice. And in so many words, he told me that I had to uh, improve my look. So basically, I needed to uh, (laughs) look a little bit more sexy and feminine on the job if I wanted to attract members to the association, which I found very disheartening, especially in, what, 2004, I think is when that happened, 2003, 2004. I, I, I was shocked that that was still something. Wow. So that was probably one of the biggest things. And that, and, and, and being called our girl in the office mm-hmm. um, was something I, I really had to educate some of my members about. Um, but for me, that, that was probably, probably the, the, the biggest challenge in terms of being a woman in construction that I had faced. And so what would you tell a young woman who might be concerned about those kinds of challenges or, or maybe that she doesn't feel sufficient or that it feels too, too different? Certainly improved. You know, it, it keeps getting better. You know, we're getting more and more women out there. It's becoming more of the norm. And there's so many more of us that we can connect with each other and help each other through those um, those situations. And the more of us there are, the more that we can educate our, our male counterparts, you know, on, you know, how we should be treated, you know, on the job site or in the office. And Susan, would you give out that website so if anybody's interested or thinking they might like to pursue this, where they would find all this good information? Yes. So uh, in the Metro Phoenix area, um, actually Metro Phoenix pretty much up north would be the Phoenix chapter, and that is org. N-A-W-I-C, org. And then the Tucson chapter, our website is org, And all of our contact information for leadership is there. Contact any one of us to get more information. Um, we'll come to a chapter meeting uh, and get connected and really see what we're all about and how we can help uh, women coming into uh, the construction sciences or even women that have been around for a long time that are looking for some more camaraderie or uh developing different leadership skills. Excellent. Susan, thank you so much for joining us this morning. This is Susan Krieger, staff writer at Rosie on the House. Thank you so much.
Well, let's bring John into the conversation and see how we can help Mr. John. Good morning, John. Good morning, Rosie. Hey, uh, it's always been a pleasure to listen to you over the decades, can I say? Wow. <laughs> uh, well, I'm not that old, but I, was, I guess I must have started young. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, we've got a fountain in the backyard. The, it's three bold wedding cake tiered. How's that for okay. a description? Okay, got it. Got it. And it's the bottom bowl, I want to say, is five or six feet across. Does that sound about right? Okay. And it's nice to have the water running in March, April, and May because you open your bedroom window and you can hear it. Absolutely. So we had a, a motor fail and we had a handyman fix it because we couldn't get uh, any of the fountain people to come on out. Okay. It worked, but it didn't. I don't know if this is the right term, horsepower in the motor to uh, elevate the water through the top crown uh, f- would come out four to six inches and then kind of bubble up and then drizzle down and you get <laughs> the drips into the, each pond as it got to the bottom and then it'd dr- do it all over again. Not, not the fountain ambiance you were looking for, huh? No, no. I, I mean, I could have put a hole in the roof and waited for drips. Uh, this is a pre-manufactured wedding cake styled uh, fountain. That is correct. No. Well, let me ask you this. The pump we're replacing, is it a submersible pump that sits right in the bottom of the largest uh, retention basin in the bottom? Or is it a detached motor that's plumbed back to the fountain? No, it is a submersible pump because okay. All right. the handyman, uh, he took the time... To, you disassemble it, and that's where we discovered it was not cemented together. Okay. Which makes total sense if you yes. break a, a pipe. Yes. Good Lord. You got a mess. You, know, you got to get a jackhammer and tear it apart. Well, they make those little submersible pumps that will be. Well, Jennifer and I have a fountain in our front courtyard that stands about six feet tall, and it is a copper fountain uh, that we've had for, I don't know, over 20 years. And those submersible pumps ought to have the capacity and the ability to uh, run that fountain. Somehow, some way, in reassembling that unit, I'd be wondering maybe if we didn't pinch a line or if the pump wasn't secure to the hose. Uh, maybe there are different ratings of those submersible pumps. Maybe you need to take a look at the rating you bought and up it a little bit. But that the, the little submersible, little giant pumps are, are pretty darn good, and they will move a lot of water. So my guess is we're dealing with a line obstruction or a pump maybe that we bought with uh, not quite the specifications or the horsepower we needed. Those would be the two areas I'd look at. Jennifer's got some more updating from the Builder Show. Um, you want a couple points now? Well, or you want to wait? Yeah. Okay. Well, I always feel guilty. I'm good at that. Oh, I, okay. <laughs> I, was, I thought, you know, you're going to the KBiz Show and you know it's going to be a lot of smart technology. And so I wish I was more interested. I want to be. But I found out something very interesting. Even though many, many of the manufacturers are offering it because they think it's what everybody wants, here's stats. 30% of kitchens in the, United, in the United States and only 21% of the bathrooms have any smart technology. 
So I'm not, not I'm not quite, so odd after all. Not getting quite the consumer yeah. demand that they they were, they but think, it's coming. Yeah, it's it's Speaking inviting. Of trends, it's, it's appealing, coming. but people aren't there yet. And I think as the next generation comes up, it'll be more and more popular. But then we talked about you know who's going to maintain that. It's not a DIY project generally to fix smart house technology. Um, so maybe they'll do like the Tesla, where you just upload your problems in the evening before you go to bed, and the cloud comes in and fixes your house, right? Tunes up your Tesla yeah. or tunes up your house. Or your air conditioning or, well, your, or well, your refrigerator. It might change a lot. Maybe you know? we'll eventually get there. So we we did hear that from a lot of people, that a lot of this smart technology isn't being adapted, adopted quite as quick as a lot of the manufacturers were anticipating and or hoping. But that generation is coming. Well, I think also <laughs> some of the issues are the security you know, once they figure out the security issues, I mean, you don't want somebody hacking your refrigerator to find out what your bank account looks like. <laughs> you know, it's just well, all, yeah. you know, it makes you a little vulnerable too. So they'll figure it all out, but it's it's still up and coming. All right. So technology, colors, appliances, uh, all just portions of things that we saw from the home show. Question we got is, what do I do with blistering paint on a ceiling? Uh, make sure the water's drained. Make sure you wait it out a good week or two to let everything up there dry. If the sheetrock sagged, uh, there's a trick. While it's still damp, you can screw it back up sometimes. But the danger is as you're screwing it back up, because it's damp and the paper's wet, you're going to take that screw and put it all the way through the sheetrock. So take a screw and put a, a washer on it and screw the sheetrock back up just to where the washer moves the sheetrock back up to its plain level position and allow it to dry in that position. It'll dry straight again. Once you've got that done, then you need to get a product called Kills or a similar product, K-I-L-Z, and that water will have left a stain on the sheetrock. Say, let's say that stain's the size of a basketball. You'll take Kills, and spray that area twice or three times the size of the basketball, let that kills dry, and then paint the whole ceiling. There's just a couple steps for you to take if you experience a roof leak in your house. Welcome back to Rosie on the House. We are going to continue our conversation about women in construction. A couple segments ago, you got to meet Susan Krieger. She's our staff writer at Rosie on the House. And now I have two women I would like to introduce to you who work on the other side, which is Rosie Wright Remodeling. I think you'll really be impacted when you realize the scope of skills to do all that's needed to accomplish a remodeling job. From Rosie Wright Remodeling, we have Sephora Onye, who is a project manager at Rosie Wright Remodeling, and Rochelle Horn, design sales at Rosie Wright Remodeling. So I would like each of you to tell your story of how you ended up in construction and ultimately at Rosie Wright Remodeling. Sephora, why don't you begin? Um, hello, and thank you. I'm happy to be here. Um, and I'm happy to tell my story. I'm happy to work for Rosie Wright. Just a little bit of background on myself. I'm from Romania. I came here to the United States in 92, close to 18 years of age. I 
started working many different jobs because I didn't speak English. But I always had an interest in construction. I attribute my interest in construction going back to when I, as a, when I was a little girl and I had to help my dad rebuild our home that was in a serious fire. Uh, I needed to help him, and that was one of the things that I had to do. Just started learning here and there probably everything about construction. So, Well, Rosie loves to tell the story of how we connected Rosie Wright Remodeling with, with Sephora because one day on the air, Rosie said he would pay a million dollars for someone who could fill this spot we had open at Rosie Wright Remodeling. And lo and behold, one of our frequent listeners called and said, Rosie, I have the woman for you. And so Rosie met you for breakfast. He came home and told me, Jennifer, we're going to hire Sephora. So we're just so thrilled to have you as part of the team. And Sephora, your journey is pretty untypical, you know, but it just shows that with a little tenacity, you can do whatever it is you want to do. Yes. So uh, I've have, I have a friend that uh, knew Rosie on the house and listened, listened to Rosie on the house for many, many years. So one day I met, I met this person hiking, and I started kind of talking to him, asking him how he was doing, and we started talking about what I do. At that time, I've been done, I've been actually remodeling and flipping houses on by myself and doing all kinds of construction landscaping for about five years, and uh, we just started talking, and he said to me, Sephora, if you want a full-time job, I know the place for you. I know Rosie on the house. He's going to hire you on the spot. I said, why would Rosie hire me? He said, because you are what he's looking for. Listen, this is what I've heard him say, and I'm going to take you to him. You just tell me when you want a job, if you want a full-time job. And I did have different offers from different construction companies um, that I knew, but I've you know, I'd never considered working full time uh, because at that point I was doing, uh, I was self-employed. That is great. <laughs> and Rochelle, Miss Rochelle Horn, you have been, you have known Rosie for a very long time as well, and have actually worked with him before. So let, tell a little bit about your background and how you ended up back with Rosie Wright. Thanks, and I'm thrilled to be back with Rosie Wright. So uh, right out of high school, I went to work for an interior design studio where I learned to sell carpet and upholstery and draperies. And um, it was in a little town south of Tucson. And when the studio sold, then uh, we started a cleaning and maintenance business. So we started cleaning carpet and upholstery and draperies, which evolved into water and fire restoration. It was a lot of the same equipment. So that was a fascinating journey. Then I moved to Los Angeles and had the opportunity to work with a large general contractor there who said that he wanted to teach me the structural end of the business, that I needed to do more than just the foo-foo stuff. Um, so my mentor was this old guy that would write his estimates on the backs of old envelopes. And so it was a great education. I was a single parent at the time, and when the Northridge earthquake hit, my daughter was sure I was under some freeway overpass that had come crashing down. So I 
decided it was time to move back home to Arizona. So we moved to Phoenix, and I went to work for um, a large remodeling firm because remodeling was very much like the insurance restoration contracting. It just You don't have an insurance company backing you. And that's when I really started to focus on kitchens and bathrooms. And the opportunity at Rosie at, was Legacy at the time, mm-hmm. opened up. And um, his processes and his, um, I've always said that Rosie's a man of integrity. His philosophy was, uh, we do what we say we're going to do better than expected. And, you know, I can sell that. I, <laughs> I, I can and you do that. a great job. Mm-hmm. We're very glad to have both of you with us. So here's what I want to do. I want us um, to talk about when a customer first comes to, to us. And, Rochelle, go ahead and talk through what um, things that might be involved in getting this person ready for a remodel. And then we're going to pass it to Sephora and let her explain to us what, how she makes that come to fruition. So what happens when someone signs a contract and, and your job begins? Okay. Well, and actually my job begins long before they sign a contract. So I get invited out to someone's home. Um, They've been thinking about doing a remodel. Maybe they've been thinking about it for a while. Maybe they've got appliances that are dying or plumbing that's failing or some reason that they're, you know, deciding now is the time. Um, So we talk about what it is they want to do, how long they've been thinking about it, um, you know, what what their investment thoughts are. Um, I do a lot of, I ask a lot of questions and do a lot of listening to figure out, you know, what it is they want to do and are, are they realistic in their thoughts and can we work well together? Do they feel like I can hear them and that I can share the vision with them? Then we enter into a project analysis design agreement. We get to go on field trips and we get to, um, I get to measure their space and talk about, well, what if we did this and kind of stretch their imagination a little bit. Uh, the field trips are fun because I can show them things that they didn't even know existed. And I feel like something I bring to the table is that it can be overwhelming going into a tile shop. Absolutely. So you take all this time, you build this relationship, you're helping them to know, to even figure out what they want, and then helping them to make the choices. And so all these things are, are put together. And at what point then does it get hand it off to the production team. So after we decide what it's going to look like when it's done, what we're going to provide, what they're going to provide, how much does all that cost? When can we start? When will we be finished? Please sign here. But after we have a signed agreement and we're ready to begin construction, uh, we've got some great processes in place. We'll hold a pre-construction meeting and that's when Sephora and I will meet with the clients. We'll review the design. We review the scope of work. We talk about all the selections that have been made. We talk about anything that hasn't yet been nailed down. And then I hand the baton to her to take over and make all of my dreams come true. Now, Sephora, that's a pretty tall order. How do you do that? Well, with confidence. (laughs) Well, it, I think it comes before pre-construction, pre-construction meeting that we start thinking about it, we start talking about it in-house, we start uh, looking at the project, what we have, and it takes, uh, it takes a little while for us to have the outline down what we're going to do. But it always makes sense when we have 
the pre-construction meeting to be at the client's house to look at every detail, to look at every corner and, you know, kind of like cross all the T's and dot all the I's so that everything that Rochelle had put in place is covered. So you you are really a team. Since there has to be a lot of trust between the two of you, you have to trust that Rochelle's gotten the details together and she has to trust that you're going to carry out what she's what she's put in place, right? Definitely. And again, we work together. She's, you know, she's not a person that would run away after the contract is signed. <laughs> uh, if we have any designs issues or questions, we have uh, weekly meetings with her included in them so that way we could cover everything and make sure that everything is done. Why don't you both tell me what is the most rewarding thing about what you do? Oh, for me is the the happiness that I see in clients' eyes when everything is done. At first, it all becomes, it all seems like it is such a burden, is such a hard thing to go through, especially when you see your house being demoed, like everything that you had in place is now gone. So where it's like, where is everything? And you, you know, until you see that final finish where they're like, wow, this is amazing. It, it just, the, the, I, I guess the, the change that's being done, it just becomes overwhelming with happiness and the clients is like, that's why I had to go through all this so I could see the final results. How about you? So, How about you, Rochelle? It's kind of a similar feel? Um, very similar. And, and I think part of my process with the client is talking about, yes, it's going to take six or eight weeks for us to fix your kitchen. I'm sorry. It just mm-hmm. is. And there's going to be times when you're going to wish that we will just go away. Um, however, I promise you that you're not only going to love the project when it's done, but you're going to look back and actually enjoy the process. And invariably, they do. So, Rochelle, Sephora, if someone's listening and they're interested in this path you all have taken and they want to do something similar, what would be your word of encouragement to that person, to that woman who would like to enter into construction in some form? There are actually several trade associations in the Valley that meet that you could meet other like-minded individuals um, and see about, you know, is it interior design or is it actual the physical part of construction or somewhere in between. Um, And I I think that our community is very open and responsive to uh, people wanting to get into the industry. Sephora? I would say if you want to see somebody uh, transformed or a project transformation, I would say um, maybe if you want to make a difference, that's what I want to see. If you want to make a difference and see somebody, the way they change from the old or the before and after, uh, don't let the challenges and roadblocks say, okay, it's it's too hard. Just go in for it and and see what it is like in construction. Yeah, and I think both of you would, um, you both exude a lot of confidence. I mean, you, your paths have been very um, different, kind of unconventional, but you both have a desire to learn and you were willing to listen. So anyway, I just wanted to thank you guys for joining us. This was just encouraging to me. So Sephora, project manager at Rosie Wright Remodeling, and Rochelle Horn, Design and Sales 
at Rosie Wright Remodeling. Thank you so much for joining us. And if anybody's interested, I would encourage you to uh, look up uh, the, your local NAWIC chapter. That's National Association of Women in Construction. We've got uh, Jane on the line calling from Sun City. Welcome to the program. I just want to come in. I've been doing the super cooling for a while now. Every couple of months, I get a little notice from APS that says, you were using so much energy, more energy than your neighbors. And I'm like, well, of course, because I'm keeping my house cold all weekend long. <laughs> that and the fact that living in a retirement community, half my neighbors are gone. Yeah, right. Well, that's the other thing that you've got working against you for sure. And I get that same message. You have to take a look at that message in light of the big picture. Okay, I'm consuming more power, but when am I consuming that power? How am I consuming that power? And what is the net effect at the end? I'm consuming as much as 20% more in power than my neighbors immediately around me. But I know from visiting them, my bill is about 35% lower than theirs. I push all my demand off peak, on peak, I do not let anything come on at my house, so I'm not here with that demand charge, and I can consume more power. In a way, the utility company can take advantage of that. So you can email me your power bill, and I can tell you whether or not you're being a responsible citizen or not. What's Dennis? Let's see if we can take care of Dennis here real quick. Good morning, Dennis. Hello, Hey. Thank you for all your wonderful information. Well, let's see you if I can help. You recommended a home energy audit, and I called up a company that you recommended. I don't want to throw them under the bus. Okay. But when I asked for the home energy audit, they said, well, we can save you the $99 and just send out a person to take a visual look at the house. Why would they want to do that? Well, um, I, I guess it would be depending on what you were trying to get out of the out, out of the inspection, um, we can do a visual inspection to check a couple of things uh, very easily, and that can just be a courtesy visual inspection. Um, but boy, with so much equipment involved in a whole house energy audit, again, a lot of times it's uh, you know I can't get to you for. That's what six, I was thinking. Six like, to eight weeks, but maybe to send one person by to look and just see. Okay, do we need to do a whole house energy audit um, versus scheduling a whole team to get out there and realize? Okay, I didn't need one, and the demand being so high, everyone's looking for new ways to yeah. maximize their efficiency in their times. So I don't have I don't have a good answer for you, Dennis. I, I would want to talk to you a little bit more about uh, what were your expectations, what as to what it was that we were trying to solve. Gary, why don't you bring Javier in the conversation? Okay. Hey, Javier, how you doing? I'm doing well. How about yourself, Rosie? Good, good, man. Uh, so I bought a condo a couple years ago, and I had my roof, the popcorn ceiling uh, was taken off, but now I want to make the walls. Uh, level five as well, but I wanted to see if I had to take off the paint before I did that. Now, do you have uh, drywall floating experience, Javier? 
I don't. I don't. Okay. Uh, well, oh. I kind of try to do my own bathroom, and it didn't work very well. But uh, okay. I want to get a little bit better at that and just start doing my own work. Okay. It would be awesome to learn that. Okay. Well, you do not need to remove the paint, but you do need to wash it down very well with trisodium phosphate. And then make sure you rinse that trisodium phosphate off the wall very well. And level five drywall um, – we, we, we call it smooth as glass. It has no texture to it. You cannot see any of the tape joints. You can't see any of the screw heads. It is literally smooth as glass. It happens to be, Javier, the hardest finish to achieve. Now, the irony of all this is when you travel to other parts of the country, that's the only way they do sheetrock. On the East Coast. They don't slop on all this texture that we put on out here in Arizona, skip trowel and splatter and all of that. Uh, so it can be hard in the Phoenix and the Arizona market to find a drywall finisher capable of giving you a true level five finish. But the great thing about it, Javier, is drywall mud is malleable. It's liquid. If you're not happy with it, you just wipe it off the wall before it dries. For level five, you're going to want a fairly large trowel. I would say eight to twelve inches. You're going to. You could literally roll uh, drywall mud on the wall with a roller, a small nap roller, and knock it down with a large. But you're going to take quite a bit of sanding, so it's going to be messy. You're going to want to wear a respirator, uh, but it, it's doable. You literally coat the entire wall with drywall mud, a thin layer, let it dry and sand it smooth. And Javier, you may have to do that a couple times. The knife will want to leave little edges and ridges at the outside point that are hard to eliminate. Uh, but I would spread from left to right on the first coat. I'd sand it down. And then I would take a magnifying glass and a big, strong spotlight. And I would walk around with that spotlight and I'd shine it from left to right, right to left, from bottom to up and uh, top down. And use a little four-inch knife with thin mud floating out any little blemishes or imperfections in the surface. Let that dry. Sand it again. And that's going to be about as close to a level five as you'll be able to get. Javier, that was a lot of information. So if you need to listen to that again, uh, that'll be up on our website this afternoon. You can re-listen it as many times as you need to. Put it in your earbuds while you're you're mixing up the drywall mud. So you can hear Rosie's voice in the background. (laughs) All right. 